Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about opening your eyes to a new view of life. I'm glad you joined us today. You know, each day we live, we have a series of choices of where to spend our time, what to think, and how to go about our day. And some people choose to fill their gaps in their day with worthwhile things like podcasts. This podcast is born from the firm belief that a powerful way to live a happier life is to open our eyes to new ways of seeing life. So hopefully today in this time together, we'll get a new perspective of how to think and live better. And when you're done today, think of someone in your life who could benefit from this message and share the link to this podcast with them. They may need what you learn here today. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to discover the answer to the question, did you know? Did you know there's one letter that does not appear in the name of any U.S. state? That letter would be Q. Did you know that the filling in a Kit Kat bar is made from damaged Kit Kat bars? Whenever a bar is imperfect during the production process, it's ground up, made into paste, and turned into filling. Did you know that there's a basketball court in the U.S. Supreme Court building? Yes, it's located on the top floor of the building, and it's called the highest court in the land. Did you know the most watched sporting event ever is the FIFA World Cup? Over 3.2 billion people watched the 2014 World Cup game. Did you know where the largest pyramid in the world is located? Not Egypt, but rather the Bass Pro Shops in Memphis, Tennessee. The megastore features a hotel, aquarium, and bowling alley. And last, did you know that your sharpest memories are formed in your early childhood? It's called the reminiscence bump. And this proven concept shows that as adults reflect on their lives, they remember more events from their 20s than from any other time in their life. It's amazing, isn't it? Our fascination with knowing things. And nowhere is this more evident than on television. Over the years, television has featured a host of game shows. Some of those game shows have become a huge success, with millions of people watching those shows each day. What are the most popular game shows in history? Well, number five, The Price is Right. Number four, Password. The number three most popular, Family Feud. Number two, The Wheel of Fortune. And the most popular game show in history, can you guess? Is that your final answer? Jeopardy. Now, why is Jeopardy so popular? In a recent survey, 15% of adults say they are regular Jeopardy watchers. And despite what you may think, 40% of those watchers are under the age of 35. How many people tune into an episode of Jeopardy? Over 10 million. And when asked why it's so popular, one producer said, people can compete with the contestants. It is a knowledge-focused show for people who have, throughout their life, acquired knowledge. And as they watch the show, some people may think, I could compete on that show. I know those answers. But is knowing trivia really knowledge? Is it useful? Well, before we answer those questions, let's test your Jeopardy or Trivia Pursuit skills. Five questions. Let's see how you do. The famous painting, The Last Supper, was painted by which artist? Leonardo da Vinci, right? What musical was the longest-running show on Broadway? The Phantom of the Opera. Which continent is also a country? Australia. 
What NFL team was the first team to win a Super Bowl? The Green Bay Packers. Dihydrogen monoxide is the chemical name for what substance? Water. Now, you may or may not have gotten those trivia questions correct, but here's the point. Knowing the answers to many of those questions is fun, but is it helpful? Well, it might be a good sign that you can remember things, but does it make you a better decision maker? Does it give you direction in your life? Well, not long ago, I was talking with a student who insisted he be given credit for work he didn't do in my class at the business school where I teach. And in an attempt to help him understand why he wasn't going to get that credit, I explained he would never know the concepts we taught in class, which, by the way, are really important and applicable to his future career, unless he really engaged in the material to learn it, to know it. To which he replied, I don't need to know everything. I just need to know where to find it when I need it. Now, perhaps one thing that is happening in the Google generation we live in today is that we come by knowledge so easy that we tend to think we don't need to know. But knowing isn't just about raising the facts in the moment. Knowing is about becoming a better you and guiding your life in directions you may not have anticipated that are life-changing for you, your family, and your team. For example, can Google answer this question? What is it like to be on the other side of you? When someone interacts with you, what do they see? What are their impressions and how do they perceive you? Because let's face it, in your business, you may be selling a product. In your real estate business, you may be selling a service. In your teaching, you may be teaching a subject. But in reality, in every instance, those with whom you are interacting are either buying into you or not buying in at all. Not long ago, my organization entered into a large real estate project. And the companies involved are large development companies, and they've done similar projects in the past. But oddly, we didn't make our decision to partner with them based only on their past experience. When you really look at how the decision was made, it was made because of the person or people sitting across the table from us. We made judgments about them, their character, their capabilities. And that really was the deciding factor. Likewise, so are decisions made about you when you're selling or training. It's not really about the product or message. It is about you. And Google is not the answer to becoming a better you. And what the student in my class didn't understand is that when you come to know something, really engage with it, it becomes part of you. To know, really know, brings power into your life. When you know what something is called, you have no real sense for what it is. One author said, the person who says he knows what he thinks but cannot express it usually does not know what he thinks. Awareness of facts is not awareness that matters. For example, you can look up the location and history of the Statue of Liberty, but when you stand in front of her and think of the thousands of hours and people that gave their time and means to bring her to the heights she stands today, when you see her hand raised with the light of liberty and think of the power of the republic for which she stands, you know you act, you feel differently. And it is that kind of knowledge that makes you stand differently during the Pledge of Allegiance or show up to vote or get a little teary at the singing of the national anthem. It's not the stats or the facts, but the knowledge gained through feeling, learning, and experience.
The result of really knowing is that it affects your perspective. It helps you open your eyes. A well-known British mathematician and philosopher, Bertrand Russell, had a great influence on epistemology, which is the study of knowledge or how we know. And he famously taught that there is a difference between knowing by description and knowing by experience. For example, you may know a person by name. And when someone asks you if you know them, you can say yes, but you really don't know them by experience. If you did, you would hold feeling about them. You would have a sense for that person, and the interaction with them may impact your thinking. Imagine a life in which you never knew people by experience. It would be shallow at best. And you know, as I've thought about this principle, I've wondered about the apparent increase in mental challenges that people face in our world today. I mean, we've all read and listened to the debates about what is causing the increase in mental challenges. And I've listened to those debates as well. And I believe that there is a contributing factor that we as a people have shifted from knowing by experience to knowing by description. We have a lot of knowledge about a lot of things, but we've lost the power, the personal power of knowing by experience. In karate, there's a saying, I'm not afraid of the 1,000 moves you've practiced once. I am afraid of the one move you've practiced 1,000 times. Likewise, knowing, really knowing a person or a principle, comes from engaging with an effort of 1,000 rather than an effort of one. The effort of one leaves you without feeling or depth or emotion. And the mentally poor life is a life that lacks those things. For me, feeling and depth sees me through mentally challenging times. It gives me a measure of resilience or perseverance because I am operating from a place of stronger emotion. You know, not long ago, Psychology Today had an interesting article. The title, We're Raising a Generation of Wimpy Kids. In the article, the author said, parents are becoming more like personal assistants to their children. They manage their children's schedules like dutiful employees. They deliver forgotten lunches and drop off band instruments that were too cumbersome to carry. They chauffeur kids all over the state and sometimes all over the country so they can participate in competitive sports. But parents' willingness to become their children's concierge is backfiring. We're raising a generation of emotional wimps who lack the ability to stand on their own two feet. Now, according to the Pew Research Center, 24% of 25 to 35-year-old young men and women live at home. Today, students in college average six years to earn their four-year degree. A survey by Michigan State University found that one-third of employers had received resumes from parents on their children's behalf. Some submitted the resumes without their children's knowledge. And a quarter of hiring managers have received phone calls from parents urging them to hire their son or daughter. And 4% of hiring managers had parents attend an interview with their adult child. How will our kids ever know for themselves if we continue to coddle them along their path to really knowing who they are, who they can become, and what it takes to rise to their potential? So what might be the cause to some of the mental illness challenges we face today? Well, I believe it's because many of our children don't know for themselves. Interestingly, a research study published in Scientific American just a few years ago 
revealed that young adults who exercised, had in-person social interactions, attended church, and read books, had significantly lower rates of depression. Conversely, young adults who spent more than two hours a day on their electronic devices were more likely to suffer from depression. So, given that, I believe that part of the issue is that when you don't have in-person relationships and read and go to church, you're left to the stressors so evident on social media. You turn your knowing of who you are and what is truth over to the partisan passions and condemning cultures so prevalent on our electronic devices, and you never find the peace that comes from really knowing. As the famous saying says, prepare the child for the road and not the road for the child. And just in case you think you and I are immune from the things I've just talked about, then think again. We are just as vulnerable as those younger than us. So what's the solution? Well, one solution is to be a person who knows, really knows. And to be a person who knows takes more than reading of facts or posting of opinions. Let me give you an example and share the power that comes from really knowing. Jen and I have five children, one boy and four girls. And yes, our son is serving a life sentence with nothing but girls in his life. He's now married. His wife has only sisters, and he and his wife together have a daughter. But when he was graduating from high school and going to college, our arrangement was that I would pay for tuition if he got certain grades, provide transportation, and pay his rent. Everything else had to be paid by him. Utilities, food, everyday costs. And that meant he had to work while taking a full-time class load. And I don't care who you are, the first semester in school is tough. And it was for him as well. And as a result, he delayed getting a part-time job. And he didn't manage his time well in the first semester like most of us. And as a result, he fell behind in classes. And with the semester starting in September, by November... He was out of money for food and other expenses. So he called home. And I felt awful for him. I understood. My first semester at school was a disaster. And I could empathize with him in every way. But we stuck to our guns and told him if he wanted to eat, he had to find his way. Well, he did. And he did remarkably well. The job he found was getting up at 4.30 in the morning to be at school at 5 to clean the school buildings. So four days a week, he worked from 5 a.m to 9 a.m. What was the result? He knows. He knows how to take responsibility. He came to know how to organize his time. He knows the importance of planning, working, and budgeting. And as a father of his own household today, he knows, and he does remarkably well. And I believe it was the pain of what he experienced, the sacrifice he had to make in getting up early each day, and the extraordinary nature of what he did that causes him to know. In short, he has a testimony, meaning he could testify about the importance of the things he learned. Here's my point. When we know, we have something of great worth. It was Thomas Jefferson who said, knowledge is power, knowledge is safety, and knowledge is happiness. And it was Benjamin Franklin who said, tell me and I forget, teach me and I may remember, involve me, and I learn. I know. So, in your life, what do you really need to know? What area in your life is waiting for you to really dig in, to read, to learn, to understand, to experience? 
because what you come to know can bless your life for years to come. For example, let's say in your parenting, you need to know how to stand firm and let your kids learn on their own or how to move out of being their concierge and instead be their cheerleader. Or in your business, you may be starting a 90-day campaign to do something remarkable. Will you dig in and do what it takes to lead by example? Do you know how? Does your team really know what it takes to grow a business? And if so, then can you all agree that the only way to know is to give your whole heart and effort in the 90 days ahead of you? You know, Stephen was born in Portland, Maine in 1947. His father was a vacuum salesman. And in his youth, he wrote a story called, I was a teenage grave robber. At the University of Maine, he wrote for the college newspaper. And after graduation, he was going to teach, but instead, he started earning income by selling short stories to magazines. And in 1973, he wrote a novel entitled Carrie, a story about a high school student with telekinetic powers. Other books, successful books, followed Salem's Lot, The Shining, Stand By Me, and my favorite Stephen King story, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption came next. Well, King would go on to write and produce other books, stories, and movies. But the rights to Shawshank Redemption were sold to Frank Darabont and adapted to the screen by Frank in 1994. And the movie would go on to be nominated for seven Academy Awards. Now, if you've seen the movie or read the book, you know that Andy Dufresne was a banker and he was convicted of murdering his wife, something he didn't do, and was sent to Shawshank Prison. There, through a series of events, he would escape 28 years later. And he does so by using a small rock chisel to chip away at a tunnel through the wall which he hides behind a Rita Hayworth poster on the wall. Well, in the story, a fellow and older inmate, Brooks Hatlin, is finally paroled after 50 years in prison. But he doesn't want to leave. He has known the prison for the vast majority of his life. Nonetheless, he's released and tries to make it on the outside, but eventually takes his own life. And Morgan Freeman's character, when learning about Brooks, said, These walls are funny. First you hate him, then you get used to him, and enough time passes, you get so you depend on them. Interestingly, according to the National Institute of Justice, about two-thirds of released prisoners are returned to prison, and three-quarters are rearrested within five years. And more than half of the prisoners returned to prison were rearrested by the end of the first year of release. And you know, we all have a prisoner too, so to speak, in our lives. And perhaps we're living in a way that never takes us out of the walls in which we live. You see, in our lives, we have a chance to come to know more than our daily routine. We can know more than what we read on our phones or devices. And we can know more than our immediate circle of influence. We have choices that can help us step out and come to know new and amazing things in our lives. Because there's more in life than what we know today. And it might be worth asking yourself, what could I come to know that I don't know today? What would be useful? What do I need to do to come to learn and know that useful thing? Ingrid Olson was a recently divorced mother of a young son and was supporting her family alone in her home country of Sweden. The divorce had alienated Ingrid from part of her family and friends, and she felt alone and abandoned and overwhelmed before an uncertain future. Well, bewildered by it all, she welcomed one afternoon 
the opportunity to visit a cousin in a neighboring village nearly 90 minutes away by bicycle. And she planned to devote the trip to prayer, hoping to receive some sign from heaven that God was aware of her plight and would give her some needed solace. As she rode her bicycle towards her destination, she was miserably aware that the darkening day and threatening clouds matched her own darkened spirits. Well, in this state of mind, Ingrid at length reached the distant village and made her visit, and starting on her return trip, she rode her bicycle up a long incline in the face of an increasingly strong wind before which she could hardly make progress. And seeing in her difficulty an opportunity to test the reality of her faith, she really wanted to know if God was there and if he knew her. So she stopped, stepped off the road, and prayed that God would manifest his presence in a simple way. He would stop the wind. Then she would know that he had heard her prayers and that he knew her predicament. She got up and resumed her journey. But the wind blew even harder. And as she rode into the wind, she became more bitter with each kilometer. And it seemed apparent that God, after all, if there really was such a being, had never heard or answered her heartfelt pleas. Well, arriving at last at the hill above her village, a bitter Ingrid dismounted before coasting down the hill towards her home. And looking to the heavens, she uttered a sardonic thanks. Now I know. Then it happened. She was filled with an intense, powerful thought that sounded through her very being with the words, I did not still the wind. Instead, I gave you strength to overcome. Moved by this, Ingrid rode immediately to her pastor's house and related to him all that had occurred. And sensing his role as an instrument in affecting God's will, the pastor raised the funds to send Ingrid and her boys to America. There, she attended college and discovered a latent artistic talent. She became a sculptor. After completing her degree, she returned to Sweden, established a studio, became an accomplished and successful sculptor, even fulfilling commissions for the King of Sweden. And her boys, both college graduates, are doing great things in life. Well, years later, Ingrid would look back at that bicycle ride, remember her plea to heaven, and realize that God didn't stop the wind, but he gave her knowledge. And through her experience, she came to know that he was there and was aware of her and had a plan for her. Think about the power she has in her life of really knowing, knowing by years of experience and faith. She knows God in a way that guides her life. Now, maybe you and I need to come to know God or life or things a bit better so we too can testify of our firm knowledge. You know, Molly Ivan said, age has given me what I was looking for my entire life. It gave me me. It provided me the time and experience and failures and triumphs and friends who helped me step into the shape that has been waiting for me all my life. So where does all of this lead us today? Place knowing, really knowing ahead of other things in your life. Knowing that comes from digging into a thing, from practicing the same move 1,000 times. You'll soon know your real talent and know the real you. You know, in the late 1960s, there was a young man who had a dream of becoming a famous musician. He had a recurring dream 
He was playing to tens of thousands of people seated hundreds of feet above him, and he knew this was his purpose and that he had a talent. So we started playing in a band with small gigs. The band's direction just didn't feel right. It wasn't his way of doing things. And in the course of those things, he was drinking heavily. He was depressed and stuck. Because he didn't have a place to live, he lived with the band's drummer and the drummer's wife. And soon he started to have an affair with the wife. Well, the lifestyle, the dishonesty weighed on him. And he didn't know who he was. He was lost in a prison that he had just gotten used to. So when the band broke up, he was left with nothing. And he thought about ending his life. And in a half-hearted attempt to do so, he drank furniture polish and a bottle of vodka. The next day, very sick, he was admitted to an institution. But there, something happened. For the first time in a long time, he started to be thankful for what he had learned and realized that he was in a situation like never before. He could choose to change. And this knowledge of where he had been empowered him to change. Three weeks later, he walked out of the institution on a path to learn something new and better excited about life, committed to his dream, but this time smarter, wiser, and filled with a bit of knowledge. He understood that he was not meant to be a piano player in a bar. He was a writer and a musician. At the institution, they hadn't given him any medication. The doctors hadn't performed surgery. He had opened his eyes and remembered the latent talent within him. He said, I came to know that the person inside of me was much more talented than the person I had settled into. Well, three years later, he wrote a song called The Piano Man. And today, almost every person has heard of Billy Joel. And yes, on June 22nd, 1990, Billy played to a group of 90,000 people, all seated in the sky above him at Yankee Stadium. So, as we end today, put the question, what do I need to really know? on your mirror or desk or screensaver. Perhaps it is to know how to change or how to lead or how to rise. Perhaps it is whether God knows you or you want to know Him. Perhaps it is simply you want to know the real you. Whatever the case, let that desire for knowing carry you forward into amazing places in your life. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend And join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.